So far, if you've been with us, you, even though we've only a short way into this gospel, haven't even finished chapter one yet, John has already painted a very impressive portrait of Jesus. And he's done so by using a, a palette of Old Testament uh, imagery and words and uh, phrases. And he's kind of been painting these, these brush strokes to give us, to help us grasp who Jesus is. Then he's going to kind of tease out through the rest of the book. He's already uh, thrown out the brush stroke that Jesus is the Word of God become flesh, the Word Himself, the great Logos of God become flesh amongst us. That's one stroke. He's also painted Him as the light and life of men, the very light that enlightens us, the very one who gives us life. He's painted him as the glorious son from the father who dwelt amongst us. God the father, his very son, has come and tabernacled. That word right out of the Old Testament. Been his presence amongst us that we can know him. An incredible brushstroke on the canvas. And then he had John the Baptist introducing Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That lamb, every, they always would sacrifice a lamb for their sins. It goes all the way back to the lamb that was, his blood was put over the doorposts so that God's people were saved from the judgment of the Passover angel and able to come out of their slavery in Egypt. All these images just stroked onto the canvas, one on top of another, to help us understand who Jesus is. And in combination, they're incredible. If they're not true, they're blasphemous. To say this about Jesus. It's such an incredible picture that I think if you're a Jew or really anybody who's paying attention, you've got to wonder, is this, uh, is this portrait accurate? Is this an accurate picture of Jesus? Is this what people would have seen actually if they, if they met Jesus for themselves? Is this what they would have experienced or is there, some, uh, is there some artistic license going on here? Is, is John writing in such a way that he's kind of using some culturally accepted exaggeration? So we don't really see that the real Jesus. It's interesting, when I was in, uh, just after college, I was going to say I was in college, but just after college, I had a roommate, this was in the 90s, and uh, he was a pretty good photographer, and he got a job at the mall at a place called Glamour Shots. And what they did at Glamour Shots is you could go in there and you could get a Glamour Shot. They would uh, do all the makeup on you, do your hair. They even had these, all these different kind of clothing, these costumes, these dresses that kind of they'd put on you. And then they would take pictures with the best lighting and the cameras. And of course, inevitably, inevitably at the end, what you got was a picture that looked nothing like you. It was this incredible, glamorous picture where people go, Who is, who's that? Oh, that's me. Now, we have the same thing today. It comes in an app on your phone. It's called Instagram or TikTok or one of those things where they can just filter. And you can kind of filter your whole life, right? You can give this picture that isn't anything close to reality. Is that what's going on here? Is that what John has done? Or we got, we got sort of kind of a, a filtered, morphed picture of Jesus that's not really real. Well, I think our text this morning answers this, because here we're going to see the first people that meet Jesus. 
the, the first witnesses that come and are introduced to Jesus, and we're going to see what they think of Jesus, how they see him compared to John's introduction, John the Baptist's introduction. So look at verse 35, and let's read the first few verses. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them follow him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him two days. It was about the tenth hour. Now, what I want us to notice in these first verses is all the, the, the seeing language, the beholding language. First, John says to them, uh, these two disciples, as Jesus comes, behold, he says, see, see the Lamb of God. The second thing, in verse 39, Jesus, as the disciples then begin to follow him kind of curiously down the road, he invites them to come and see. And then it says, and they came and saw. And this theme of seeing goes through the whole section. In verse 46, Nathaniel invites Philip, after he meets Jesus, invites Philip to come and see. Then Jesus ends this whole section, verse 51, by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see. In fact, the word see or behold, that word is used 13 times in, in 16 verses. The disciples are being invited here, these first witnesses, to, to see Jesus, the unfiltered Jesus, to check him out for themselves so that they can believe, so they can have this kind of authentic, grounded in reality belief. And as readers, I think we're kind of vicariously uh, you know, invited to do the same. In fact, I think this is how this whole book of John works. We're supposed to be traveling with the disciples, seeing what they see, experiencing what they experience as they follow Jesus and check him out. And if you've been thinking about checking out Jesus and his claims, you've come at the right time because we're only not even finished with one chapter of this book. And we're going to be looking at him all summer, seeing who Jesus is, beholding him in this gospel. And there are three things this morning that I think we're supposed to see in this text about Jesus. And the first is this. We're supposed to see that Jesus is the real deal. He's not a mythical exaggeration kind of manufactured out of John's overzealous imagination. No, he's the real deal. Look at how these original witnesses react to him when they behold him. Look at verse 39 again. He said to them, Come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So Andrew follows after Jesus, and after spending maybe one day with him, is convinced that he has found the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. 
This is the, the promised king of Israel, the savior king that all the Jews have been waiting for for a millennia. He says, we found him. As he sees Jesus, he immediately says, I see the king. I see my king. He knows. It's amazing. Not only does he confirm John the Baptist's portrait, but he adds to it this title, this another brushstroke on the canvas of Messiah. Jesus, the word become flesh, the light of men, the glorious son of the lamb of God is also the divine king, the Messiah. That's Andrew's reaction. Look at, uh, look at Philip's reaction, his response in verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip, as he sees Jesus, his immediate response is to find Nathanael, his friend, and say to him, Hey, you know Jesus, the, the son of Joseph from over at Nazareth? He is the one. He's the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. You really can't say too much more than that about Jesus. He's saying to his friend, hey, you know your Old Testament? The law, the prophets, all the predictions, it's all about Joseph's son, Jesus. That's a giant brushstroke on the canvas. Philip sees Jesus, and immediately he's blown away. He knows he's found the real deal. And then there's Nathaniel, he's, his, his response, he's one of my favorite because he's so honest. After hearing Philip's testimony, what does he say? First thing he says, what's in verse 46? Philip comes and says, hey, here's Jesus, this guy from Nazareth. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Obviously he doesn't think much of the little town. But after a brief interaction with Jesus, this is what he says in verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He puts together these two huge titles, Son of God, King of Israel. That's why I had Psalm 2 read. That's where we first see Son of God, King of Israel come together. He goes, this is the guy out of Psalm 2. He knows who he is. He's the divine Son, King, who will judge the whole world. Another amazing stroke on the canvas. Nathaniel sees who Jesus is. It's amazing, these guys', these guys spiritual perception of Jesus. They've only spent hours with him. He hasn't done a miracle yet. This man who, who probably looks like any other average Joe from Nazareth, yet just being with him and listening to him, experiencing him. They see who he really is. They know. They know John hasn't exaggerated. And they know who he is, and I'm not just talking that they know him intellectually. I'm talking about a scene that is, that is believing. After grasping uh, who he is, we see that it just manifests itself right into their, their lives and in, in their words and deeds. Note how each one of these guys, what's the first thing he does when he 
comes to see who Jesus is. They go and tell somebody, don't they? They immediately have to find, Andrew has to find Simon Peter's brother. Philip has to find Nathaniel and tell him. They can't keep their mouth shut. It's interesting, I think when you really see Jesus, what happens is you want others to see him. You want others to know him. You know, like, you've got to see this guy. You know, the, the night that I committed my life to Christ, when I was 14, it was the same night that my best friend did. Do you know why? Because my best friend, when he got saved that night, he came and found me. It was about 10 at night when he found me at my house. And he wanted to tell me about Jesus. He wanted me to repent. Because he knew. This is what happens when you really see him. You want to tell others. I think it's a, a good little diagnostic. You say, do I really see Jesus? Do I really know? I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want others to know? Do you want to tell other people? And you know, I find their response here of these original first kind of guys that are introduced to Jesus, I find their response incredibly encouraging and kind of confidence-building. Because the original readers of this book, I think the reason that we're told about these guys is so that the original readers of this book, couldn't, they didn't have to go, oh, I think John's exaggerating. They could go talk to these guys. He's telling them, hey, Andrew, Nathaniel, these, they can go and say, is this who he is? Is John telling us the truth? These are men who, who knew their Old Testament. They knew the, the, the expectations of the Christ. And they say this is true? See, our faith isn't based in some secret teachings that happened in a cave where John had some experience. He says, listen to the eyewitnesses. It's verified historically. These are men that followed him, by the way, for the next three years, they didn't follow him for a day. They left their lives and followed him. Just like the, the guys in Mark who walk away from their fishing business or, or Matthew who walks away from his tax co collecting business and follows Jesus. They're so convicted that he's the real deal that they follow him and they will follow him and proclaim him until they die, till they're murdered for it. They have seen Jesus for who he is for themselves. They know he's the real deal. In fact, one of the followers here, when it says there were two standing there, when John said, behold, one of them, they think, is John, the writer of this book. He spent his life writing about Jesus, and we're reading this testimony today. It's pretty, pretty impressive to think about. But here's the thing. Not everybody responds this way to Jesus, do they? In fact, as we go through this gospel even, we're going to see people who meet Jesus and don't say, oh, Messiah, my King, Lamb of God. We're going to see people who don't recognize him this way at all. We're going to see people who say, oh, isn't that just the carpenter from Nazareth? Isn't that just Joseph's son? We're going to see people who go, well, yeah, he seems like a good teacher, maybe a prophet. We're going to see people that say, that guy's a blasphemer. He's lying. We're going to see people who say, he's, that guy's lost his mind. Even people from Jesus' own family say he's insane. 
So what's the difference? How, how do some people come to Jesus and know immediately, Lamb of God, King, the Christ? And others go, I don't, I don't know, carpenter. What's the difference? Well, I think it has to do with the second thing that we're supposed to see in this text. And that is that the disciples here are seeking Jesus. They're actually truly seeking Jesus. Not only do they see him because of who he is and get it, but they see him because they're truly seeking him. Do you notice the question that Jesus asks back in verse 38 when the disciples first began to follow him? When John said, hey, behold the lamb, and they begin to follow him down the road, what does Jesus do? Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? It's a great question, isn't it? Yes, they're following after him, but what do they really want? What are they seeking from him? Jesus knows that, that what we seek from somebody pretty much defines who we think they are already, right? If I meet you or if every time I see you, all I seek from you is medical advice, Every time I talk to him, I'm like, hey, I have this, and oh, I got this thing in my knee. And every time, you know it's clear who I think you are. I think you're a doctor, or I think that you're a person who can offer some kind of healing. If every time I, I see you, I say, hey, I'd like a cheeseburger, large fries, and a Coke, please, it's pretty clear who I think you are. I think you're a miracle worker. No, I think, obviously, it's, I think you're a server. And of course, these boxes that we put people in that we already think by what, how we seek them is, is, are, are quite often limiting, right? Jesus knows that people will seek him for all kinds of motives and reasons that will completely limit their vision of him. Many will come to him, as we'll see throughout this book, for healing, to get their legs fixed or their disease cured. And in his compassion and in his power, he will do it, but it will be all he ever is to them. I always think of the, the paralytic story, right? All these people coming to get healing, and they, they lower him through the floor. What do they expect Jesus to do? What are they there for? Of course, if you read this story, you know Jesus is there for something different. Think of the ten lepers that come to Jesus. Ten of them come for healing. He heals all of them. One of them comes back. One of them is interested in more than being healed. One of them is truly seeking. Some people will come to him for provision and prosperity. In chapter 6 of this book, there are thousands of people following Jesus because he fed them bread, miraculous bread from heaven, filled their bellies. But by the end of the chapter, when he tells them what he's really about and what he expects of them, you know what their response is? This is chapter 6, verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then in 666, John 666, <laughs> after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus, you see, puts it to these original disciples right up front 
right as they begin to follow him, what are you seeking? What do you really want from me? Why are you coming after me? Jesus wanted them to grapple with it. I think he wants each one of us to think it through. What do I really want from Jesus? It makes all the difference. Well, the disciples here, they seem to give a, a pretty decent answer. Look at verse uh, 38. What are they seeking? Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. When I first read that, I always thought that was weird. What are you seeking from me? Well, where are you staying? But if you think about it, you know what they're asking. They're saying, hey, can we come and stay with you? They, they, they want to know if they can be with Jesus. They want to be taught by him. They want to abide with him, to know him, who he really is. They're they are asking for relationship. That's what they're asking for. On his terms, let us be with you. Let us learn from you. This is the kind of genuine open seeking that finds Jesus, that sees Jesus, that knows him for all that he really is. I think we kind of see this, this kind of honesty in, uh, in Nathaniel here, don't we? Jesus says in verse 47, as he sees him coming towards him, what does he say about him? Verse 47, this is what he says about Nathaniel. Behold, an Israelite in in whom there is no deceit. Now that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, this guy's never lied. It actually means that he's an honest guy. It means that he has no duplicitive motives. He's without guile. He's the kind of person who, who says what he means. That's why he says that about Nazareth. It may be rude, but he just says it. He just says what he thinks out loud. He's, he's clear. He's He's honest. Our former uh, pastor here, Paul Reese, English guy, well, Welsh guy, big smile, and he would always say exactly what he was thinking. And sometimes it was very rude. He got away with it because he was British. Robin here always said he was the most disarmingly offensive person she ever met. But he would speak the truth right to you with this big smile. And what does such a man, such a person who's kind of just raw in their honesty, what does he see when he sees Jesus? He sees the Son of God, the King of Israel. He knows who he is. Are you open to seeing Jesus for who he really is? Do you honestly want to know him for who he is? Because you can. Come to him. Seeking him. Come to him on his terms, not yours. I, I, I challenge you as you go through this gospel this summer to approach Jesus this way. Seek to know him, not for what you think you can get out of him, some means to an end. Think, approach him for who he is. And you will find him. You will see him. You will behold the Lamb of God, the Christ, your King. And you know, the exciting thing is that when we, when we really do see him, when you really do see him like this and know him in this way, we find out something extraordinary. We find out that he already 
sees us, that he already knows us. That's the third thing I want us to see. That's point three, that Jesus, he sees you. He sees us first. Did you catch that when you read about Nathaniel? Look back at verse 47 with me. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. It's not that he saw him from a distance over there. He's saying to him, I, I, I know you. I already saw you long ago. He knows this guy. He knows he's a man without deceit. He, he knows him inside and out. And he calls it when he sees him. We see the same kind of, kind of uh, this insight and knowledge when uh, Jesus meets Simon back in verse 42. Look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. That's Andrew. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, or by the way, means the rock. What an opportunity. Jesus, Jesus here not only knows who Simon is, he knows who he will be. You're going to be Cephas. You're going to be the rock. He knows him inside and out. He knows his past. He knows who he was. He knows who he is. He knows who he's going to be. Of course he is. Of course he does. He's his creator. He's the word who made us all. This is the definition, by the way, of, of a true intimate relationship. It's what we're all constantly seeking in our friendships and marriages, to actually be known deeply and completely. That's who Jesus is. The one who knows us. Who knows us before we know him. And the thing, of, the thing of it is here, as you notice, this knowledge isn't just intimate. It's, it's kind of shaping, right? He calls Simon the rock because he will make him into that. You can just follow Simon's life. He starts out as a, as a betrayer coward. And he ends up proclaiming Jesus boldly. Just read through. Read through into, into the book of Acts pretty exciting to think that you can know the one who sees you, the one who knows you, the one who shapes you to be all that you can be in him. You can know him. But you know, if this isn't incentive enough to want you to really want to see Jesus, there's still one interesting verse left in this text. Well, two, I guess. Start at verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is one of those verses that when you... Uh, when you read it, it seems kind of cryptic and weird, and you might just kind of read on. But it's crucial. 
It's a, it's a reference to Genesis 28, the story, uh, a story that all the Jews would know very well. It's the story of Jacob, one of the patriarchs, having a dream. And in this dream, he sees the heavens opened and a great ladder up to heaven. And angels are ascending and descending, going in and out, in a sense, of heaven. And God is at the top of the ladder, restating all his promises to Abraham. There's so much you could unpack about this, but the basic idea is clear. It's, it's a dream about full access to God and all his promises, a ladder to heaven that can be traversed. But the interesting thing is that as Jesus references this dream, he changes one key detail. What are the angels going up and descending up and down on? Well, it says on the Son of Man, the ladder is the Son of Man. That's like Jesus' favorite designation for himself. Comes out of Daniel 7.13, right? The great one who will ascend to the ancient of days. That's what Jesus is going to do at his resurrection. He's going to ascend to God himself. He's going to open the way to heaven. That's what he's saying. He is the ladder. This guy who just looks like a regular Joe from Nazareth, through his life and his death and his resurrection will bring full access to God and all the promises and blessings. This adds an incredible brushstroke to the canvas. This expands the portrait, doesn't it? If you see Jesus for all that he is, not only will you find that he already sees you, but you will see heaven opened for you. Do you know this reality in Jesus? Is this the Jesus that you know? Is this who you've been seeking? The very hope of heaven. If you're not sure, just keep coming back because that's who we're going to be checking out all summer. That's who we're going to be looking at through these witnesses in John's gospel so that you can see for yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as the great Lagos, you have engaged our minds and our hearts with your son. That you engaged John the Baptist and these early witnesses so that you could engage us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to put aside all our own agendas for, and motives for why we might seek you and just seek to know your son that we can know him for who he is, that we can ascend to you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.